0: This is Digital Pathology Today. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. Our guest today is
1: Dr. Raj Singh, professor of dermatology and pathology at Northwell Health. He directs the Dramatopathology section and is the Associate Chair of Digital Pathology. He is of course the founder of PathPresenter, an online digital platform having over 125,000 users across 170 countries worldwide used in academic departments, private pathology groups, and organizations in the U.S. and across the world. Today we're going to learn about what exactly is PathPresenter How was it developed? What was the unmet need or opportunity that arose to facilitate its creation and adoption? It seems like one of the features of digital pathology is to facilitate increased connectivity among and between pathologists, which is helping to democratize access to care and makes the benefits of surgical pathology review and expertise available to underserved populations worldwide, but also makes this expertise and diagnostics available to pathologists across the country and across the world. There's more to pathology workflows than simply signing out a case or issuing a diagnosis. Of course, it varies according to practice environment, but pathologists have to do other things, such as present cases at tumor board or multidisciplinary conferences. And of course, there's pathology education. How is pathology education going to change with this increased connectivity and on-demand access to digitally archived images?
0: This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by JAV Advisors. With over 16 years experience, JAV Advisors focuses on business and management consulting for digital pathology and artificial intelligence in deployment within histology, pathology, and cytology laboratories throughout the world. Call 213 258 Six two six eight for more information. J A V Advisors. Doctor Raj Singh, welcome to the
1: podcast.
2: Thanks, Joe. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: Yeah, so, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in digital pathology and your your experiences that led us to this point.
2: Yeah, that, that, it's a, it's quite an interesting journey. So, I work as a pathologist uh, currently at Northwell as the chair of digital pathol, vice chair, as the vice chair of digital pathology, and also as the director of Dompath. Before that, I was used to work at Mount Sinai for almost 10 years and before that at the University of Pittsburgh and uh, anybody who has been working at the University of Pittsburgh UPMC definitely knows what is digital pathology because they were one of the pioneers in this space. So when I was working there, they, they, we already had some scanners that were put there by different companies for testing and uh, we used to scan some slides. and when i when we were using those slides it was very interesting to see like how it made it easy for us to do the teaching and like getting a second opinion from somebody uh, when you are using a digital slide we started I, I started collecting a lot of digital slides for teaching not only from case, the case the good cases that we saw but also from other places that had digital scanning at that time and by 2016 i had a very good collection of slides that we were using for teaching the, the question was, was arising that when I, when the residents and when the trainees were at different places how do you give, give them access to these slides without them traveling all the way from let's say around a 20 mile away hospital to come for a one hour teaching session to the main hospital. And so the idea came up that if we could put these slides on the cloud it would be good for us to then just share our computer screen and let them see the slides from the cloud. And that is where path presenters started off, like just as a requ- need of the hour that we wanted to teach trainees and residents that were 40 miles away.
1: Okay, yeah, I think that's that's interesting as we're as we're diving into the many use cases or applications of digital pathology. I mean, there's certainly much more than one, right? People think of pathology as rendering a diagnosis, but there's so many more applications and and actual use cases for this. And I think what often may get neglected is education, pathology education, resident education, because I think many of us can think back to the old days, or even in your personal experience, you see a great case and you say, oh, this is really great. This, I'd like to look at this again sometime, or somebody else might appreciate this. And then you put it in your little personal collection, maybe a shoebox or a, a slide folder, and you stick it on your shelf. And then maybe no one would ever look at it again. So I think there's so many advantages to digitizing these things immediately that can you know, make them available. And then You know, just bridging the distance, right? Does it even make sense to drive forty minutes each way for for a one hour session? So, I think that's a very, a very powerful and compelling use case. So, do you think you were alone in this, or did other people really see a focus in education starting out?
2: So, this was where in two thousand, like, the idea idea came up at UPMC, but then I moved on to Sinai, and this, and then uh, Sinai actually had four different hospitals and there was always this issue of how do you train the residents there, but when we wanted to put the slides on the cloud and we actually approached a few companies that were already in the space and we asked them like could you help us out, put these slides on the on the cloud and help us to like use them in a much better and effective way and let other people also use them. So, somebody in South Africa wants to see the same slides and use them, if they are on the cloud they would be able to use them but we didn't get any good support from any of the existing companies at that time and it because nobody helped us out then i said let me build this on my own and that is where we then started getting help from a few engineers that we knew as friends and they helped me build this backend software that would allow us to upload the slides on the cloud get the got the viewer in and then so the, the slides could be viewed so it was a very simple basic application that would allow uh, anybody to upload the slide on the cloud and then view them from anywhere. And it turned out to be a very, very powerful tool in 2016.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. So you did, you did it yourself out of necessity. And now are you finding that, that obviously there's an economic case when you sign out cases and you can bill CPT codes, 88305, 88307, 88342, right? There's obvious money changing hands in exchange for services but there's so many other things we do in pathology that don't get reimbursed directly per se such as training residents or presenting at tumor board or you know asking your friend across the country oh can you look at this difficult case so have you found that the economic barriers or the practical considerations have been stumbling blocks in making this work
2: it, 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 it is a very difficult like a difficult uh, uh, place to be in when like you are trying to do all this with very little support. There was the the whole thing suddenly changed in 2017 when, when uh, path presenter was already being like uh, used by a lot of people for seeing this cases that we had put on the cloud for education. But in 2017 when the Philips uh, scanner got the FDA approval, that was the first I think turning point for digital pathology. There are there a are, there are couple of other turning points that happened after that, but the first turning point for digital pathology was when Philips got the FDA approval and now all the institutions suddenly started thinking about buying scanners and installing the digital pathology ecosystem to be able to view the slides or to help make a diagnosis using digital slides. And because PathPresenter was already up and running at that time, a lot of people who started buying the scanners also became very interested. Because if you look at an institution, when they buy a scanner and when they buy the all the equipment, it is an investment of almost a million to ten million dollars. And they will put up all this equipment, they will buy the storage. They will scan the slide and once the slide is scanned and they have looked at it for a diagnosis after that there was nothing available to utilize the slide for education like how do I use this slide for how do I integrate this slide into a PowerPoint presentation how do I integrate this slide into a into a test module how do I integrate this slide into a discussion con into a discussion module? And nothing of that sort was available yes you put in the millions of dollars but you the slides were of no use unless you had the tools that would allow you to use that slide in a much more effective way if you want to use it for anything else besides making a diagnosis
1: yeah so there certainly was a clear unmet need or several unmet needs which kind of necessitated you folks to build this now before we dive into exactly you know what is path presenter exactly and how and specifically how you developed it one more thing about education which kind of I just came to my mind as we were talking is that it seems to be almost a direct opposite use case in some sense of actual daily practice where in education the focus is on well obviously something is clearly wrong on this slide or this sample and there's you know, some process. And now your task is to show us how smart and how clever you are and come up with your differential diagnosis to, you know, to make the diagnosis and move the case along versus in actual practice, what we do is a lot of looking for the needle in the haystack where much of what we see is normal. So we're trying to find isolated tumor clusters in a lymph node or 17 lymph nodes, right? It's very, it can be very tedious and the goal isn't to show how smart you are, how clever you are, but rather to see what is your attention to detail and how focused you can be. Looking at a prostate biopsy, are you going to find two or three abnormal glands? Are you going to find the DCIS or the invasive lobular carcinoma that's lurking in a breast biopsy that seems completely normal? So it seems to me kind of the tasks and the functions are, you know, just barely related or maybe even opposite to each other.
2: And I think that that is where you hit the second turning point like so the first turning point was the scanning of the slide of the scanner being FDA approved and then the second turning point in 2018 let us say around 2018 like AI has been there AI and machine learning has been there from in the 1960's actually people talk about AI and machine learning in the 60's, 70's, 80's but it never took off. And the only reason it never took off was because that uh, there were two or three like uh, things that one the storage was very expensive on the cloud uh, but the more importantly the computers were not as powerful as the computers of today uh, and thirdly the uh, the tools that the 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 algorithms that people can use to build these models were not as powerful as they were current as they are currently today actually so in 2018 and 19 all these factors came together where cloud storage became quite cheap, the computers became very, very powerful. Now, like the computer that my son takes to college is much more powerful than a supercomputer of 2006. So, even like what they have in college, uh, the teenagers have in the schools and colleges is more powerful basically. So, the computers became very powerful, and third, the 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 algorithms and the uh, all the TensorFlow's and everything started becoming available because Google, Facebook, Amazon, all started using AI not for pathology but for other te- other things. They wanted to use AI to get more people to f- get more people to upload images onto Facebook or to f- for Amazon to find the right customers. So the AI became very very powerful, and that I think was the third turning, p- the second turning point where you already have a digital slide that many institutions were now starting to accumulate, so that data was there and then suddenly all these AI tools becoming very very powerful and then what you said people thinking like can this now be achieved where the pathologist's job can become a little bit more simpler if the machine can help find that lymph metastasis in 20 different like uh, I when I was a fellow at MD Anderson we used to go through like two big trays of just lymph node biopsies to find that one single cell of a metastatic melanoma. So, with this uh, powerful AI learning uh, tools coming, uh, becoming available for researchers and then the data becoming available, all these questions started coming up like, now can these two come together and produce tools that not only would help the pathologist in making the diagnosis, that was not even, that is just one small part of the entire equation. But the more powerful thing that people started to realize was, you have the data and this data is not only the digital slide, so now the digital slide is an image, but that is one part of the data. With that image, now you have a lot of associated metadata, like was the patient, did the patient smoke, what kind of um, underlying molecular changes did the patient have, what treatment was given to the patient, did that patient respond to that treatment. So, if you start combining this metadata with that image, uh, so just for an example, if I have 500 cases of melanoma, then I could separate those cases out that these were 250 cases that were given some specific treatment, and these were 250 patients that were given another treatment. And if you look at the retrospective data, the patients that received treatment A fared much better than the patients that were given treatment B. So, now that becomes like a training module that can be used to train a model that would be able to predict why these 250 patients did better and why these 250 patients did not do better. And those models now you are not only helping the pathologist in making a diagnosis, now you are helping the patient in predicting what his prognosis is, what his or her prognosis is, what treatment is going to be effective. So you're helping the patient, you're helping the oncologist, and that is where the whole power of digital pathology is basically.
1: Yes, yes, excellent. I think we've certainly been the beneficiaries of all these improvements and enhancements in technology, uh, such as artificial intelligence and image analysis. But I think that brings up a really interesting point. So, what exactly is our task? What is the the highest and best use for digital pathology? Because I think it's you know people on the outside looking in you know, may have a different perspective from what we as pathologists identify as what we're gonna be able to do with these new tools. I think most would agree, pathologists perform very, very well right now in terms of, and they have for hundreds of years, at least 100 years since we've been using the microscope in terms of being accurate in making diagnoses and conveying that information to doctors and patients. So I think, you know, so how are we going to improve Is it more like, I think, streamlining our workflows to enable us to have higher throughput, and then to, as you suggested, add metadata and mine into images deeper for features that would not readily be available or reproducible by the human eye, so we can add so much more value and convey so much more information than we were able to before.
2: And uh, the important part for the pathologist in that that role is, Uh, If you are going to produce any kind of algorithm that can predict either a prognosis or a treatment for the patient which makes the whole thing very powerful is that algorithm if it is a black box algorithm it would be very difficult to get past the FDA or use it in, in real like it is good for publishing a paper but if you want to take it to the real world and like make it available for every oncologist or every patient around the world. Yeah, there is a lot of it. You have to be. You have to be able to explain why these features are there, and I, the the best person to do that explanation is a person who's been seeing these cases for so many years, and they they can see like like if they look at like ten k to, to hundred cases of one one pattern and another hundred cases of another pattern, there the, the 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 person who can explain it the best would be the pathologist.
1: <laughs> that's a very interesting point because I think that's in many ways been a stumbling block in that the expertise was kind of cornered by one person or a group of people and the reason why the diagnosis is what it was is because oh because i've said i say that's what it is from on high and the reason i say that's what it is is because i've reviewed so many cases and i'm the world's expert or something along those lines i think it's ultimately the diagnosis is an opinion a well-informed opinion hopefully that there will be inter-observer variability among pathologists but as we scale and we introduce computational tools and artificial intelligence is that going to be a stumbling block that it's a black box and people don't trust it and is regulation going to be a hurdle or are we going to be able to have transparency and be able to explain how we develop these new tools
2: the fda dev is definitely big on transparency like we we have been working closely with some of the groups in the fda uh, that are using the PathPresenter platform for collection of data so we have been working closely with them and what what we have learned from the multiple interaction with them is the fda is currently opening up to allow a little bit of black box like data but not like a complete black box basically so they they would want at least some kind of partial explanation that why these patients will fare better or why this treatment is going to work better. So, we definitely need the retrospective data and the input from a pathologist to explain like what are the differences that we are looking at that will help that are, that are predicting this prognostic thing that you are talking about or the treatment that you are talking about. So this is the, the that is the reason I think pathol, This is this is very very exciting for any pathologist who is now part of this ecosystem. Is this is the time where they can come out from the basement or as a as a player that is not mainly involved in the treatment of the patient. All they do is like put in a report and nobody then ever talks to the pathologist.
1: Right. I, I I'm certainly with you there. That this could be the start of a new golden age or really the opportunity to add even more value and create even more visibility for the profession. Because I think
2: definitely this is the time. And that is the reason like I I always urge pathologists that don't like close your eyes or like you say, like uh, those three monkeys that you don't see, you see no evil, hear no evil and speak no evil. So like you cannot do that right now. Like you cannot close your eyes, shut your ears and not speak about it. Uh, as pathologists, like we should be taking like charge of this whole thing, g- get used to digital pathology, get used to a little bit of computational pathology so that we can then lead the way. like yes, we don't need to sit and do the coding. but definitely we could lead the way of where this whole thing is going and how the pathologist's role is going to change and we, in the, in the management of the patient. And there are so many studies that have shown that like 70% of all decisions that clinicians take, are based on the pathology department assessment. So what comes out of the pathology department? it could be a blood test, it could be a, it could be a, a, a histopathology report, it could be a molecular test. Everything that is coming out of the pathology department is forming the basis of every diagnosis every decision the clinician is taking for the treatment of the patient.
0: This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by DJT Solutions, your single source for all your digital pathology requirements, from consultation services to system requirements, including installation, training, and life cycle support. Since 1995, DJT Solutions, we are your best choice for your best results.
1: We've always been there, maybe in maybe in the basement, um, and like you said, I think it's the College of American Pathologists has gathered a significant data on this, and that seventy to eighty percent of of uh, treatment decisions are based on laboratory results as well as a- anatomic pathology. So is is this going to be a golden age, and what's it going to look like? You know, are we going to be able to move away from the microscope and the computer and take more of a, a central role in guiding therapy and, and advising doctors and patients? that is the hope
2: i am really looking forward to that kind of uh, involvement of the pathologist with the uh, with the with the team that is involved in treating the patient and this is the opportunity that can do that so i would, as long as pathologists understand that this is the uh, the hope and the opportunity and the time to really like now take charge and make sure that they do not let digital pathology to be controlled by other people and like and that is why I think path presenter has become a very important component of of the digital pathology space. Because one other thing Joe like I can like the other thing that we were always like st- struggling with is uh, we see a lot of papers I get to like I get a lot of like paper as editors in multiple different journals. Uh, we get a lot of papers to review and there is there's so many papers that are coming out that people are working on different kinds of tools either for prostate cancer or breast cancer or colon cancer, uh, where they are using data from their local hospital, so some paper might come out of Sloan, some paper might come out of National Cancer Center in Japan or a big hospital in South Africa, where they are building these very spectacular tools that they talk about that can differentiate, let us say, between a melanoma that has a BRAF mutation versus a CKID mutation. Or the or, or or a melanoma that fared better, or not only a melanoma. Let's talk about lung cancer and prostate, that is much more common, basically in the in the world outside of the U.S. and Australia, where people are doing these spectacular studies. But one thing that we have that we struggle with is, you are using data from a local hospital. You might be using data from Brigham. You might be using data from M.D. Anderson or a big cancer hospital in South America and you are building these tools, but will this tool now work in, in India, will this tool now work in Malaysia, because you have never either trained or tested this tool that you have built out of data that is coming from these countries basically. So, the important thing that I really want people to understand is like if you really want to build any kind of AI tool or machine learning tool that is going to help your patient or your oncologist that tool definitely needs a training set or a testing set that is diverse, like it should not be coming from like one institution. You have to like start getting use, like you have to start, you have to find a way where you can get a diverse set of data that you will not only use for training your tool, but also for testing your tool and that is one thing that is lacking in a big way. Uh, so your tool is going to be useful for a publication, but will it work in the real world is not at all uh, clear unless you are going to test and train it using a diverse data set that is coming from multiple places around the world.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. You said You said a lot there. I think one thing that has perhaps held us back or hindered us is a lack of consistent or uniform approach and really understanding how to appropriately do discovery, development and validation and like you said it has to be done in in a rigorous way for this to all move forward and i think it's been done in pharma and it's been done you know at these large companies you know developing these molecular classifiers but there are principles involved that you know studies or tools need to be developed in one set of patients and then validated in rigorous studies and then of course there's levels levels of evidence and the highest levels of evidence are generated in multi-center studies where you can control or take into account for differences in patient populations and laboratory techniques and and so on and so forth and you have a pre-specified plan of analysis and so there's level one evidence which is multi-center prospective randomized trials done in multiple studies which is going to be your high, highest levels of evidence. So hopefully we're we're going to be able to, to follow that well-worn path to, to really bring these tools into reality. And then you said a few other things too. So one thing I, I kind of share your concern is, is this going to slip away from us as pathologists? And I, I say that and I'm quite serious and people look at me like I have two heads or I'm crazy, you know, because it's so obvious that this is pathology. But my concern is, you know, as it becomes digitized or it just turns into data right H- and E images turn into pixels and, and data is that what is going to be the role in the pathologist of all of in all of this right how important is that foundational training in morphology in you know developing tools and then you know being the the expert you know as m- much of this becomes automated or replaced by artificial intelligence what's the role of the anatomic pathologist going to be
2: that is another like question that you will hear very often like pathologists are quite fearful like about uh, all these all the changes that are happening in the in the digital pathology space because they keep hearing about all these different kind of ai and machine learning tools that the world is currently like really focused on uh, that will help in diagnosis that will help in prognostication and they worry that will this will will i still have my job basically or will it be taken over by the by the machine, or will it be taken over by some automated uh, decision-making systems? Uh, and what we like, what we have seen, like this is this is not the first time that this fear has come. Uh, 20 or 30 years ago, when immunohistochemistry was brought into pathology, people were saying, "Now you don't need the pathologist. You do a melan A. You can make a diagnosis of a melanoma. You do a." a, a CD34 and you can make a diagnosis of a dermatofibrosarcoma protuberance. So you don't need the pathologist to now make a diagnosis and that that fear was there when immunohistochemistry came in. But it didn't do that, like the pathologist's job became much more important because there were so many different tumors that would stain with the melanin a or that would stain with the, uh, the CD34. That it was like it, the job of the pathologist became even more important that they have to go and interpret. Is this the real tumor or is it something that is falsely staining? Basically, so it became a more important and a more critical lens. St- the similar thing is going to happen with all these AI and machine learning tools in digital in in pathology. There will be tools; they will tell you that this is this could be cancer or this could uh, this could be benign. But in the end, the pathologist will again have to certify that. They will have to come in and look at the case. They will have to look at the case and certify as yes, what the machine is saying is right. Otherwise, it is not going to work. And so the role of the pathologist is going to become even more important now when you are going to uh, use all these different kind of tools, like it happened in immun- immunohistochemistry.
1: Okay, yeah, that, that's encouraging. I actually try to explain it in the, in the same way to people, that if anything, the role of the pathologist is going to become even more important but also kind of I worry in the back of my mind have we come are we going to become the victims of our own success and kind of what I see commercially is this stuff being potentially rebranded especially when you introduce molecular and the ability to multiplex and add in computational pathology right you see companies they they're calling it something else now right it's kind of what we as pathologists have been fantasizing about over the last Ten to twenty years, right? Like someday we'll be able to multiplex. We'll use fluorophores. We'll use, you know, multiple antibodies for IHC, and you know, the machine will be able to look at it, and it's just going to take us to the next level. But now I see it being rebranded as things like spatial genomics, tumor profiling, you know, and that and that sort of thing. So how, how big of a concern is that?
2: I don't think it. Like, if you really, if you are a very good pathologist, like you, you, uh, and if you just sit back and think about what you do every day. I am a dermatopathologist, so I look at skin cases every day, if you are a lung pathologist, you are looking at a lung tumor almost every day, now if you just sit back and think at the variation that you see in like 2 slides or 2 patients, yes we are calling them all melanomas or we are calling them all lung cancers or we are calling them prostate cancer, but the, there is so much variation in even like 2 slides when, when you, like when you look at 2 patients, one after the other. For that variation is very difficult for machines to like interpret unless they understand like what is the underlying f- not only the pathology but the pathophysiology of the whole thing. And yes, machines will be able to like say that m- this is a probability that this is a melanoma or this is a l- colon cancer slide, but beyond that, it is only always going to be a probability, it will never be a 100 percent accurate thing because. As pathologists, we know there's so much variation. Like, as from 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 a, from a patient perspective, I have melanoma, I have colon cancer. So that is all I know basically. But when, as a pathologist, when you are looking at those slides, you know that even if you look at any uh, the the colon cancer cases, basically, there's so much variation. Like, what there, there there are some that have a lot of lymphocytic infiltration. There are some that do not have any lymphocytic infiltration. There's so much different variation in every in all the different cancers that. The human body has to endure. That it is very. The pathologist's role will never. If you, if as a pathologist you think about all the cases that you look at every day, yeah, then you shouldn't fear that this is going to go away. And it would be actually more important for you to be there when the machine is trying to differentiate these two cases because you have to certify and also make sure that whatever is coming out is right and is truly going to help the patient because that is what we all came into pathology for to to help the patient be treated in a much better way.
1: Absolutely. Help the patient be treated in a much better way. So let's so before we wrap up here, let's talk about, you know, the future of H and E, because I think a lot of this kind of hinges or revolves around H and E. Are we going to see perhaps a second renaissance or a golden age in H and E in terms of us being able to extract more information and features, albeit maybe from uh, data mining or artificial intelligence and so forth. So as h somehow are going to become even more important and allow us to add even more value and then what's what is the future of tissue-based molecular going to be is that going to become somehow less important as we're able to predict the molecular features or phenotypes based on E morphology
2: I, not, not, none of this is going to become less important like every every uh, thing is going whatever can help the patient even like if it helps the patient in a minimal way is like for that one patient, that it helps, it is like a uh, hundred percent thing. So, if you look at if you look at your first question, so is the H N E going to be much more important right now? Uh, what I feel is now with the H, uh, people will be able to make uh, with the help of artificial intelligence and machine learning, and use using them on the dig, on the H N E slide you will be able to now catch early tumors like because if uh, the machine can help you like say that the the, the probability of this lesion being atypical uh, if you look at uh, if you look at a bladder lesion and if you look at the lesions that are intra epiduo like uh, they are within the mucosa intramucosal lesions those are very difficult to interpret many times like uh, because is it reactive or is it like a real Inside to lesion, so if you and the easiest way, it like the machine could help, is like if they could average out the nuclear size and tell you that this is the variation in the nuclear size throughout the lesion, and if that can be correlated with a dysplasia or that can be correlated with a inside to lesion, that would definitely help the pathologist using that H&E slide to make a much earlier diagnosis rather than like allowing the patient to go through like multiple biopsies before they can make the diagnosis. and An early diagnosis is always a very helpful thing because then the treatment can be initiated in a much earlier period and the chances of treatment for any kind of cancer, the earlier it is done the better chances for the patient that this will not progress and it will be clamped or cut out in the initial phases and will not be allowed to spread to either the mucosa or to the, or to the lymph nodes. So, the, I think the HNE is going to become much more powerful than before, because now uh, it has a lot of other supporting tools that will be used on the HNE slide to make a much better and informed decision for the patient, uh, not only in cases of diagnosis, but also uh, in uh, prognostication and predicting of the kind of treatment that would be most useful for the patient. And the second part is the underlying molecular changes. I think we will be able to find much more molecular uh, changes. So, when we talk about personalized medicine, it is about finding the underlying right molecular change for which a companion diagnostic drug might be available. And if you combine the AI and machine learning tool with the work that can be done on the digital slide and then with the underlying molecular changes. And you put all of them together, you might be able to find much more specific treatment for every patient. So all this in combination is actually going to make the pathologist much more powerful if they pref- if they really want to take up that role and help the patient and the oncologist to treat the patient to get an earlier diagnosis and also predict which is the best treatment rather than just giving them randomized treatment that this is a t- treatment that might help you that might not help you so you would, using the under the hne slide the artificial intelligence and the molecular changes you might be able to predict an, a much more specific diagnosis for not only diagnosis a much more specific treatment for that patient
1: i think that's a nice message let's let's use all the tools in our arsenal so we can give doctors and patients the most complete information to help guide their treatment so Dr. Raj Singh, thank you so much for being with us. So before we wrap up, just tell us what what excites you now and what do you see the, how do you see the field evolving in the next 10 years or so?
2: Like this is for me, this has been very, very the, <clears throat> this has been a very exciting journey because uh, we started building all these different workflows that uh, pay people that uh, pathology departments, private pathology groups, even like academic institute, academic researchers, Uh, pharma companies can use to extract the maximum information that they they can from the digital slide. So, we are building platforms where people can come, so there is a a platform that we built called ai.pathpresenter.net, so although we call it ai, there is no ai done on that platform. All we are doing is we are using our connections as pathologists to get more data on that platform. Uh, so that people can find the diverse data sets. So we are not building any AI or machine learning. That is being done by so many other companies, uh, and they are much better than us than uh, in the coding part. Than as a pathologist, but as a pathologist, we can get access to a lot of data because we know other pathologists and other academic departments around the world. So using those connections, we are trying to get this all this data, all these different data sets onto a single platform so that people can then come and train and test their algorithms that they are building on these platforms. The path presenter publication platform is now a very robust platform that allows integration of digital slides into ebooks. That makes the ebook very very powerful because then when the person is looking at the digital slide in that ebook. and with the annotation that the, the that the author has already put on the on the digital slide it makes it like you are teaching somebody on a multi edit scope and that scope is on the cloud with like millions of heads so when i when i write these books with digital slides and annotate annotate them and people look at these annotations in japan it is like i am pointing out that feature to them while sitting in my office in new york So, I am like teaching that person in Japan, showing them the digital slide and pointing out the feature to them. So, it is a very exciting time where all these digital uh, tools, slides and tools can be used for helping people get educated wherever they are in the world, helping patients get the best treatment wherever they are in the world and making the best use of the pathologist, the strength of the pathology department and helping the patient and the oncologist everywhere in the world.
1: Our guest has been Dr. Raj Singh from Path Presenter and Northwell Health. We'll see you next
0: time on Digital Pathology Today.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, Joe, for the opportunity.
0: This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.